Tyler Smith here with another more than one lesson mini-sode. Uh, so the last time we talked about the more than one lesson top 50, we discussed Stanley Donnan's Singing in the Rain. And this time we are going to talk about Yasujiro Ozu's Tokyo story. But before we do that, I did want to say that this mini-sode is brought to you by Faith Life TV, which is a, a new streaming service. I guess not that new anymore. It's about a year old. Um, and they have feature films, short films, sermons, documentaries, uh, TV series, uh, all kinds of things that uh, Christians would enjoy watching and would find challenging and uh, and uh, enlightening, I would say. So right now I wanted to talk about a, a little six-part series they have called Poverty Cure. Um, I will go ahead and read. Uh, it is a series on human flourishing and challenges conventional thinking and reframes the poverty debate around the creative capacity of the human person made in the image of God. I'm really interested to see what that looks like. It is a, like I said, it's a six part series. Each part is about 25 to 30 minutes. So it sounds like they get pretty in depth. So once again, that is Poverty Cure at Faith Life TV. And if you go to morethanonelesson.com and click on the Faith Life ad, you'll get your first month for free. After that, it is $4.99 a month. So uh, check them out, Faith Life TV. Uh, and right now, we will go ahead and move on, and I will welcome in our co-host, Josh Long. Josh, how you doing? Hey, good. All right. I'm just so, changing things up. I, I, I know. I appreciate how positive you're being. Right. And you're all, like, clean-shaven and stuff know, and a haircut. Like adult. Like, I know. Well, I don't know. Something, something like that. Look like a, I look like a responsible boy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't like that at all. I look like, yeah, he, he would deliver the paper on right. time. I'm a good, responsible boy. Um, sounds really creepy, actually. Um, so, okay, so we are talking about Tokyo Story, and it is a marvelous film, widely considered one of the best movies ever made. I believe it regularly shows up in the sight and sound top ten. I think that's true, yeah. Um, my experience with Ozu is fairly limited. Mm -hmm. I've seen this and I've seen Late Spring. Um, those are the only two films that I have seen. Uh, they're both great. Uh, I think I would probably like everything that he does just based on the tone that he tends to strike. Yeah. But, uh, but before we get into that, I wanted to mention, I wanted to pro provide a little bit of context. Um, so Ozu came about, I mean, he'd been making films for a while, but like, a movie like uh, Tokyo Story, and even Late Spring, Ozu was very big on examining Japanese culture. Mm -hmm. And I think he was more than willing, not unlike uh, Vittorio De Sica and the neorealists, mm -hmm. I think he was really interested in like, okay, what does it mean to be on the losing side of a war and, and then go back to life? Yeah. But it's a little bit different with Japan because they weren't merely on the losing side of the war. They are, to date, 
the only country to have ever had a nuclear bomb dropped on them. Yeah. And they had two. Right. And that they had that instead of any kind of uh, on the ground invasion. Like right. no one ever invaded them as did happen in Italy and others. Right. So it, it's weird that that's a it's a totally different yeah. losing experience. I mean, obviously, there is still like the the. South Pacific uh, theater of, of the war. Sure. But yeah, like we weren't going to go storming into Tokyo or anything like that. Yeah. And. And so, yeah, and that, the war, the war with Japan ended basically with these two giant weapons just decimating large groups of people. And we are not here to debate the use of nuclear weapons uh, in that instance. But it definitely had a huge impact on Japanese art, even a movie like Godzilla. Mm-hmm. I'd say yeah. especially a movie like Godzilla. Yeah, um and so I think Ozu, certainly, again, in the two movies that I've seen, I think just whether they actually address it or not, again, not unlike the neorealists, just play up a real, a really mournful, meditative, introspective quality of, you know, to- Tokyo Story is just about this family living in Tokyo and uh, this husband and wife who are getting up in years and their kids are trying to figure out what to do about that and what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And it's, they're reflecting on the past and past uh, traditions, but also looking at the modern world and wondering where they fit in, which I yeah. would say is probably Japan's general attitude at the time. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's a really remarkable film on that level, but also within it, the family dynamics are really interesting and it is often, it is also just a very heartbreaking film. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, uh, in talking about sort of the, the clash between the old and new, I think there's definitely also a, a, just a, a, a message about culture change and mm-hmm. um, I think around the world everything in the 50s and 60s was changing from a new generation was coming up in a way that that probably had never happened before right and so uh, I think this the film reflects some of that struggle of making way for the new making way for yeah uh, the the sort of the new global world yeah. and economy and um uh, it sort of sees them a little bit, the, the, the older couple as traditional uh, in seeing them as more traditional, it seems them as sees them as old fashioned and, and not belonging to the world as much anymore. And what's interesting is that in the old tradition, um, the elderly are respected, but also as we see in a, uh, like in the film or the story of the ballad of Narayama, um, we see that the old, it's not that they're necessarily treated as a burden, but it's almost like, Hey, we have moved beyond you. So why don't you head on up to that mountain and freeze to death? (laughs) Um, and, and so I feel like, and I, I, there's, it was, it was an old, old practice of course, but the, the 
general attitude, especially on the part of the older couple, well, they're very aware of how things used to be done and when they were younger and even just a few, a decade or two before. And so I think they are very aware both in the larger culture and individually that like, wow, we, the world and our family is moving past us. And what, what role do we even have to play? Like we, we don't really work anymore. We don't serve much purpose. We are simply, but we're just, but we're still here. Right. So what do we do? And that's, and the children are having the same struggle. Like they don't know what to do with their parents. And, um, one of the things that I, one of the things that I have enjoyed about Ozu films, and I haven't seen a great deal of them myself either. I've, I've maybe seen five total. I can't even think of what they all are at the moment, but, um, I feel like he is very slow to, even if there is a clear uh, ethic behind his films, I feel like he, um, it's never like an invective against the way these children are treating their parents or anything like that. It, I think it, it doesn't like that this is happening, but it doesn't want to make them out to be, uh, right. bad guys. I don't think they come across as callous. Yeah. I think they come across, it is, if anything, yeah, I think he, he views the change as unfortunate, not even bad, Yeah, but just like, Hey, these changes happen and the kids are definitely of a different generation. They're rushing around. They're less meditative. They don't want to take the time that their parents seem to want to and that their parents require. Um, and isn't that unfortunate that that's, that this is just what happens. Um, yeah, he might be again in just the two films that I've seen, he might be like one of the least judgmental directors I've ever seen Mm -hmm. because I think he does sympathize with everybody involved. Right. And that's one of the things that I think makes people relate or connect so well to his films is that he, he really has a, there's such a strong sense of empathy in them for all the characters. And I do think that there is one, uh, there is one character that, that, that stands out. Um, it is, you know, it's, it's an ensemble with, I think the parents being mostly the main characters, Mm -hmm. but there is, um, a character who's basically a daughter-in-law. Right. And I wrote down the name of the actress. It is Setsuko Hara. Okay. Uh, and she, she has her own story going. It's really interesting that we have this generational clash almost sounds too big to describe it, but just a a generational differences and a family trying to figure out where everybody fits. And within that, she is fairly new to the family. She married into it and she's trying to figure out where she fits. Yeah. And in that regard, she actually seems uniquely able to relate to the parents. Yeah. Even though she's the one that is not directly related. Right. Um, and so I do think that, you know, I am not, uh, Japanese. Um, but I do know that. So Jen and I, um, for a while we were pre-marriage counselors at our church and, the church that we, uh, did attend that you still attend, uh, has a high percentage of, uh, Koreans. And so a lot of the people that we wound up counseling were Korean. And we actually learned a lot about Korean culture 
and also just sort of about Asian culture in general. And there's such an emphasis on family. Mm -hmm. And of course you'll find that in a lot of cultures, including American, but there's such an emphasis on family above all else. And that even if somebody marries into it, they're still kind of, they're not blood. Mm -hmm. And yes, we're happy you're here, but at the same time, let's don't think that you're more than you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that, and that often comes from parents, that attitude. And so with this film to have, uh, the outsider who's perpetually aware that she's an outsider, be able to relate to the people that the parents are, are by no means cruel to her at no. all. They're very accepting and, and very affectionate of her. Um, but the people that would be most likely to remind her that she's not really a part of the family are the people that she feels closest with. And, uh, there's a real sadness to her. I get the impression that she's very lonely. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that, I don't know if we mentioned it already, but for anybody who's not as familiar with the film, she is, she's widowed because her husband died in the war. Yes. You may have said that already, but Uh, I did not say that. Yes. Um, and so she is a part of the family but not, and she wasn't even really that much when he was alive. And mm-hmm. so now that he's gone, it's like, I have no idea how to define myself. Mm-hmm. And so there's a sadness on, I'd say a number of levels for her character. Yeah. Um, and so I do think that it's a, it's a marvelous performance because yeah. underneath the, uh, not underneath the sadness is underneath a very pleasant demeanor. The yeah. character is always smiling, but you really know that there's a, a deep well of sadness and loneliness mm-hmm. underneath. Um, and so I'm not sure if I'd say she's the third lead, but I do th- think she is maybe the most interesting character mm-hmm. yeah. uh, of the film and uh, with a wonderful performance. Yeah. So. Yeah, it definitely is a movie that I think people would benefit from watching. It mm-hmm. is a, a marvelous film by a marvelous filmmaker, uh, and I ha- and I'm curious to know, like, if any listeners, if you are uh, Japanese, whether it be Japanese American, um, whatever, whatever you whatever whatever ethnicity you classify as in that regard, um, I would love to know how you approach this film because yeah. as an American. I'm only going to be able to relate to it so much. I do think that there's a universality to definitely certain things of it, but I do think that I think again, I do compare this very clearly to neorealism as far as it's these two countries that are on the losing side of a war and certain filmmakers embrace a quiet naturalism. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, this film reminds me less of bicycle thieves and certainly more, uh, Umberto D. Yeah. Um, and so, so I do think that, uh, and, and I don't know what it is to be Italian in post-war, sure. uh, Italy. And so, um, I, I'd, I'd be curious to know what people who might have more in common culturally with these characters, what they would think. Hmm. Um, but, uh, as far as where it fits in the top 50, uh, as we said before, it regularly shows up on lists of the best movies ever made, often cracking the top 10. Mm-hmm. And given that our listeners are movie fans, I'm not at all surprised that it is on this list. Yeah. 
but I also, from a Christian standpoint, I do think it is, I think it's a uniquely humanist film uh, about people that are just, that feel adrift mm-hmm. culturally uh, and socially. And I do think that there's maybe, I think there's something unique uh, in Christianity that has a heart for outsiders, current mm-hmm. political yeah. uh, situations notwithstanding. Mm. Um, and sorry, that was more political than I wanted to be. I, I, I mean to say that like there's a there's a larger political conversation being had right now in regards to like immigration and you know the attorney general like using the Bible to justify his his view and whether you agree with him or not. It's like okay, we're now definitely intermingling policy and and uh, Christianity. So. So yeah, I think having a having a a heart for people that are struggling to find where they fit in the world, especially when they used to fit uh, in a pl- in they used to know who they were and how they identified. I feel like it's something that would really um, resonate with with a Christian audience. But yeah. maybe I'm going too far on that. I think it probably resonates with everybody. Yeah, it could be. There could be something unique in that. Um, and I think, uh, I'm always excited to see that this continues to show up on lists because, you know, even as though we're saying it's a, it's a very well-made film with a a lot of, uh, universal, uh, ideas to it, but it, it is a very, it's a very slow film. Um, it's very simple drama so that movies like this can continue to be on lists alongside with you know, much, uh, bigger, exciting, you know, louder movies, I guess I'll say <laughs> not to say there's anything wrong with those, but like, right. To, to, to have uh, an, a Tokyo story be on a top list with like a star Wars is I think great. I, I think that shows, a within the, the listeners of the show, I think that's, that shows a, a broad mindedness that I like. Yeah. Like if we look at, yeah, it's so on the 2012 sight and sound list, mm-hmm. it is number three hmm. behind Citizen Kane and Vertigo, hmm. both of which I wouldn't say that they are spectacle films, but people would point to them on a technical and visual level yes. and say, look at these amazing films. I don't know, not to imply the Tokyo story is not that it's not like it's a John Cassavetes film or anything mm-hmm. like that, but it certainly does not have the, the dynamic quality of yes. those movies. It's a totally different kind of aesthetic and yeah. it's a very, um, I mean, again, not knowing a whole lot about the culture, but it seems like a very Japanese aesthetic. Like there, yeah. there is a, 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 like a simplicity and a piece to it. And, um, I, I read something one time about how, uh, Ozu was kind of innovative a little bit in that he, he would use a lot of, um, as transitional shots and establishing shots, he would often use shots of kind of a, something out of context, like a, like a telephone sure. pole or something like that. And there would be kind of a long yeah. moment to contemplate that thing between, uh, between scenes and uh, that seems like that's a very Japanese thing to like. Contemplative take. is a good word yes. for his films. I was saying yeah. meditative, which I think can also work. But contemplative sure. means like you're not simply sitting and being. You are looking at something and 
incorporating it into your thought process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. Um, real quick. I did want to, since we're talking about it, I did want to go over the, uh, sight and sound top 10 because I'm curious. Number 10 is eight and a half. Okay. Number nine is the passion of Joan of Arc. Okay. Eight is man with a movie camera. Okay. Seven is the searchers. All right. Six is 2001, a space odyssey. Mm -hmm. Five is sunrise. A tale of uh, a song of two humans. Oh, the a song of two humans. Yeah, a Murnau film. <laughs> yeah, Sunrise or a song of two humans. Um, and then uh, four is Rules of the Game, and then three is Tokyo Story, two is Kane, and one is Vertigo. Um, it's a pretty good uh, uh, mix of of uh, film nationalities, isn't it? Yeah, and I do wonder if that was the point. If maybe maybe critics thought like. Well, we can't not have a Russian film in there, obviously, <laughs> but maybe they thought like, eh, Potemkin's too obvious. What else can we go? Oh, I know. Man with a movie camera, which is a f- perfectly fine film, but it seemed, it always seemed like more of a gen- more of an experiment than an actual film. Yeah, that seems, it surprises to me that that one's that high. And if you're yeah. just going to pick a Russian film, you would think it would be Eisenstein or Tarkovsky. Yeah. But. So, but you know. Who knows? Sight and sound, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I would, like we will be talking about a good number of these movies as we go along. I'm In sure. fact, maybe all of them. <laughs> I don't think man with a movie camera, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, Tokyo story. I mean, if you want to look at it one way, it's like, Oh, 48 is pretty low, uh, in the top 50. But at the same time, I do. Con- concerning that m- probably the majority of the voting by base is, uh, in the United States, it right. makes sense that it would skew further away from yeah. that, which is, you know, not to, not to disparage the listenership or anything. And maybe, and I do know that my listener, uh, our listenership, pardon me, mm. is a little bit younger. Sure. And I feel like Ozu was not considered uh, vital to me until I got a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Like when I was younger, it was the virtuosic filmmakers. Sure. Uh, the ones who didn't have necessarily a, a spectacle to them, mm-hmm. but definitely uh, you know, raise the bar technically, you know, like your Stanley Kubrick, Mm -hmm. um, obviously Hitchcock, um, and, and even, and as far as, you know, non-American or non-English directors, people like, uh, Fellini and that sort of thing, uh, Mm -hmm. Bergman. Mm -hmm. And so the naturalism of Ozu, oh, and then of course, as far as Japanese directors like Kurosawa. Right. Um, and so the, the natural, uh, the naturalistic qualities of Ozu were sort of something that once that in my own experience, I, I arrived at after kind of learning what filmmaking was like, okay, now that you know that here's this and it's amazing. And it's amazing. Yeah. Um, cause I do wonder, I think if I had seen it in high school, I think I still would have enjoyed the film uh, yeah. tremendously, Yeah. but I could, I could actually see, a certain type of film student of a certain age, not to imply our listeners are this, but mm. uh, looking at the film and thinking that it's unremarkable yeah. because it isn't flashy yeah. um, or incredibly technically accomplished, even though there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. And, and the films that are kind of slower and more contem- contemplative, I think take more time to get something out of and more. Yeah. It, it takes watching more of them and it takes 
doing the contemplation. Yeah. And we're not always going into a movie expecting to do something like that, yeah. which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with, we, we shouldn't necessarily yeah. expect that going into every movie. Some of them, if we did, we really wouldn't enjoy them. Um, but I, there, I think there are whole groups of filmmakers for whom that sort of style is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tarkovsky is another, I think. Yes. I, I think if you were to, I think this would be a, a cool challenge to listeners would be to, to find a lot of the films like that, that are, uh, that have much longer takes that are slower, that have more gaps in between that are quieter mm-hmm. and kind of delving into a lot of those. And, and I think if you were to watch, if you were to say, take a month and watch only films like that, you, you might find a lot of those that you hadn't enjoyed before, but, but maybe would enjoy now. And I do wonder if that would be a very interesting, a very quiet challenge. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but I do wonder if, um, if I had seen this film in high school before getting married, before losing various friends and relatives, I think I still would have appreciated it, but I do think that the nature of this film is, I think you can appreciate no matter what you've experienced in life, but I do wonder if the nature of it is the more life you've experienced, the more you will Recognize. I'm sure. And like, it could be that in, you know, 30 years when we are closer to the age of these parents that might even resonate in more of a way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So yeah, listeners feel free to say, why did I say feel free? Like I don't, you probably aren't, don't feel constrained, uh, in regards (laughs) to Ozu. Um, but yeah, uh, check out, uh, Tokyo story. It's a marvelous film. And then if you enjoy it, uh, I would highly recommend late spring and probably other films of his. You'd think that I would have seen more, but it's just one of those, one of those things I'll get there. Um, but yeah, so, uh, next up, I actually don't remember what is next up. So I guess it will have to be a surprise for all of us. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you everybody for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.